1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 15. Just one verse here, and it should be on the screen for you. And this is a good... This is a good line. There's one very important part here that if you were underlining something in your Bible, it would be a significant line to, to note. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord. She's speaking to Eli, the high priest. No, my Lord. I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. I saw a police officer. Um, they pulled someone over. And it just caught out of my eye. I'm, this, I'm making an assumption. But they pulled the seatbelt and clicked it in. Or at least they were pulling it. I don't really know why they were stopped. But it, it, there are signs, big billboards everywhere. It says, click it or ticket. So, listen, I'm just assuming that um, he probably gave them a warning. But maybe not. Maybe he gave them a ticket. It's the law. It says it's the law. And then there's another thing we're seeing now. Put your phones down. We, Tammy and I have been doing this little survey with, with young people and older people. When you say, call me, how do you say, how do you motion with your hand, call me? You know, we always did like this, right? Call me. Little kids don't do that anymore. They, they do this. See, that's the phone that you hung on your wall and had a long cord. This is a, this is a smartphone, right? If you're doing this, you're over 50. If you're doing that, you know how to navigate an iPhone. Rotary dial, Siri. You know who you are. Huh? It says, put your cell phone down. It's against, it's the law. Don't drink and drive, don't drink and text I want to preach today it's the law now I'm going to preach to all of us for the first part of this and then I'm just going to preach to me then you can just hear what I have to say to me amen and we pray that the Lord would add a blessing to his word and all the people said amen God bless you may be seated thank you for standing the opening Lines of the book of First Samuel are telling. They are layered with spiritual darkness and a revival of light. There is a faithful worshiping man, a husband, and a burdened, barren wife. There is an antagonist in the form of the second wife. One small light remains lit in the temple, but there is no open vision. The layers are thick, deep. 
We are given the display of a host of types, capital T, types, in this first portion of 1 Samuel. So many of which exist in the year in which we live, you and I. They are myriad images of where we are today. The 14 verses, which I did not read, leads us to this moment of sorrow. Hannah says of herself, I am a woman of, of a sorrowful spirit. I'm not even sure if this translates as well in our westernized culture, though perhaps every woman would wish for a child, a son, or a daughter. But in the case of the ancient world, there was so much emphasis and self-worth tied to specifically sons. It's not typical of our day. And Throughout the scripture, you can hear this, the desperate cry of so many biblical matriarchs, mothers. Sarah cried for a son. Manoah's wife, Rachel, Elizabeth, Tamar, the wife of Ur. The list goes on. This childless Hannah is found in deep sorrow. There is no respite. But even those leading verses cannot paint the picture of the era in which Hannah lived. Again, we are a little too far removed from those family dynamics to understand it all. Elkanah is a faithful and loving husband, but his love and devotion to his wife Hannah is insufficient to fix the problem. In these opening verses, we are told of yet another trip to Shiloh, where sacrifices were offered. The Ark of the Covenant was there, and Eli served as the high priest before it. There must have been some place of prayer Because Hannah found a place. Hannah has found it, made it her own prayer room. When she bowed her head in prayer, something deep inside of her burst out. She was sorrowful. She wanted a child. It was a groaning that could not be known. She wept bitterly. Here's verse 10. In bitterness of soul, Hannah wept much and prayed to the Lord. The KGV says she wept sore. The antagonist was always around the other wife, Penina. She had children, many children, but Hannah was still empty. All of her husband's gifts, though lavish and kindly offered, could not fill the void. Surely by now, all of you know that hands filled with material things are never really filled. Whatever Elkanah put in her hands, they were never filled. I wish I could just pause and say to the church of the, and the body of Jesus Christ, you were meant to produce sons and daughters in the gospel. All of these material things are so fleeting while the lives of the lost must be saved and a soul lasts forever. If you reach even one child, you will probably save an entire generation. We were meant to be witnesses of the Holy Ghost, so says the Bible. The planted seed of the new birth experience is far greater. It's a greater investment than anything you can ever imagine. Wall Street, in its totality, will never match the worth of one single life rescued from a world of sin. Now watch Hannah now. Her husband has tried to comfort her with things, but he cannot help her or soothe her emotional heartbreak. Only God can do that. And only God can do what needs to be done. And she knows it. 
So on her trip to Shiloh, somewhere in those hallowed corridors, Hannah goes to prayer. I wonder if it began with words like, Oh God, you know my need. Has anyone ever been there? Oh God, I'm empty without a child. God, I need a son. And then, after all those words, then she just gets to, Oh God, and then, and then oh, and then the groaning. She's weeping. Words start to drift off to the depths of mourning. She wept sore. Tears are running down her face. Anguish fills the pit of her stomach until there are no words left. It's a moan and a guttural sound emanating from her lips until then just a quivering of the lips with no sound. That is how Eli found her, a quivering lip with no sound. Read it in your Bible. He sees her and he mistakes her disposition as a person who is drunk. She's been drinking alcohol. While I submit, Eli has long since been vexed and now carnal, having turned his head away from dealing with his own sons in his own house. There is every reason to believe that Hannah indeed looks like she has been overtaken by what the Proverbs call strong drink. Eli looks at her quivering lips and her disposition. And he says, go home, get sober. This is not the place for you to be. But Hannah looks up and explains her burden. Here's the critical line that I read to you. I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Until you can say that line with sincerity and proof, you really don't know what it means. You're just hearing me talk of it. It's not a simple prayer. It's not a menial recital, some vain repetition. You don't get over that prayer in five minutes. There is no clock on pouring your soul out before the Lord. It makes you weak, physically weak. It's prayer that begins with words that then results in tears. There's a pounding in your heart and then your head. And then the spirit breaks through. And there is that remaining intercession, petition, yearning until all the words run out. It usually comes at the end of a long battle when logic is gone and talking is over and helplessness is gone and no one really knows the answer when you've done everything you can do and nothing works. It happens when all the other prayers have been prayed and you come to the end of it all and you meet with God and you begin to pour out yourself out of the depths of your own spirit and heart. It's Jacob at Peniel staring down a scorned brother with no answers in his own mind. It's David and his men with all the sight of burned up and empty camp when they realize their wives and their daughters and their sons were taken by the enemy. The Bible says they wept until they had no more power to weep. That's the kind of prayer I'm talking about. Pouring your soul out to God. Hannah is pouring her soul out, which must be noted as seeds planted. There are tears and anguish sown in the soil of sincerity and desire. Uh, I've been there so many times. And even in this day, my time, our moment will not permit me the greater portion of the story. But I will say that Hannah is going to leave that place having done something that will not be undone. God is going to answer her prayer with a son. And she will go on to have many more children after her son. But what happened at Shiloh will forever change her life. Seeds were planted that came to be a harvest. 
She was planting something of value, ladies and gentlemen, sowing through her poured out soul a prayer that would have real tangible results. Her tears were seeds sown, followed by a reaping in real measure. What she planted in her prayer room came to live in her family room. Because what you plant is what you reap. It's the law. Here's your Bible. First Samuel 1 19 and the Lord remembered her so in the course of time Hannah conceived and gave birth to a son she named him Samuel because I asked the Lord for him there is a law at work whether you acknowledge it or not whether we want to admit it or not it's God's law just so you know we can change our laws of our land and they will be changed. We can defy them and many people do. You can denounce them and that's all over the place. We can set up new ones, but the word of God is forever settled in heaven. Yeah. And the law that I speak of has been established somewhere in the heavenlies. It's not based on some referendum or majority rule. The legislative body that established this thing was God alone and the council was that of his own will. It's the law of the sea and the law of harvest and you cannot defy it because it's forever settled in heaven it's the law huh. I'm preaching to all of us and before I journey too far down this road let me just set the record straight you can argue with it if you want a thousand have done so before you and they've lost we can all shake our heads and our fists and dismiss it as if it does not exist but the law will not go away or disappear just because someone disagrees with it opinions or rationale will not lessen the power of it I've watched a lot of people scoff at it as if it will not apply to their life. But love it or hate it, embrace it or despite it, it's the law. And Paul wrote it like this. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Be not deceived. Don't think this will not happen. The deception is that we think we can... Are you ready? <laughs> the deception is to think that we can reap something we've never planted. i like to have that. Where are your seeds? <laughs> or worse still, that we can plant and not bear fruit. Only a fool thinks that he will reap something he's never planted. And only a fool believes that he will never reap the seeds that he did plant. Every word and every deed, things said and actions taken are seeds planted, both to the good and to evil. Our words, our words, whether they are demeaning or uplifting, are seeds planted. There is a harvest at the end of them all. Our daily actions, ladies and gentlemen, to do or not to do, both are sown in the soil of life. The do-nothing seed will reap emptiness. The ap Are you hearing this now? The apathetic, lazy seed, complacent disposition will reap poverty, loneliness, and a host of unsavory things. The list is numerous. The doer is moving, working, serving. They reap because they planted something and they'll reap friends, respect, comfort, and a host of coveted treasures by virtue of their harvest. It is the law. 
Paul said, do not be be deceived whatsoever. You plant, which in itself is an open-ended word. There are no boundaries around whatsoever. There are no fences or walls around whatsoever. There are no limitations on whatsoever. Whatsoever is an adverb. It's a word with emphasis to mean that there are no lines or limits marking off an area. The sphere is beyond There's no definition there. Whatsoever you plant, you shall also and always reap. God said it. Hannah proved it. And humanity is living with it. I've had good friends. People who love me. Thank God for people who love me. Do you have people who love you? You need to find one of those people. It's a joy. They told me I was going to be blessed. They heaped on me blessings with their words. It felt good. They put their hand on my shoulder. I walked away, lifted up and encouraged, confident. I said to myself, wow, I'm going to be blessed. I'm going to succeed. I'm going to do good. I love that. It's encouraging. Man, to have someone that loves you tell you good things that are coming your way. But what they said to me could not change the constitution or the composition of my planted seed. Because encouragement will not alter the harvest. Oh, now. People can boast of your future, but your fruit of tomorrow is not determined by the support of your loved ones. It's determined by what you are planting right now today. That's right. And likewise, there have been words said in our lives of doubt and criticism. People, sometimes fathers, sometimes brothers, sometimes supposed friends, will heap upon us harsh words. They have told you that you will amount to nothing, that you are not going to make it. But their words, here pastor, their words are no match for the seeds of faithfulness that you have been planted every day. And the constitution of the seed called daily discipline is greater than every false criticism of those who despise you. Do the right thing every day plant the seed every day and it doesn't matter what anybody says about you you are going to have a harvest based on your faithful planted seed I feel like preaching a little bit to everybody it's time for you to plant some good seeds some seeds of faithfulness some seeds of prayer some seeds of Bible reading some seeds of worship some seeds of praise some seeds of giving there's a harvest to come whatsoever And if you're bound and you're stuck, if you want to get out and sow seeds your way, sow a seed and get your way into a harvest worthy of your expectation. If you want to be there, sow a seed right here that will get you there. Yes. But if you plant trouble, then be prepared to see it return. Roman. The reason why we had trouble with you as a child is because I was so bad as a child. And when Roman was two and would escape through the church and Tammy turned to my mother and said, Mom, was Jeffrey this bad when he was little? She said, oh no. He was worse, much worse. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Seeds. Hosea, the prophet, said it like this. For they have sown the wind, 
and they shall reap the whirlwind. He went on to say, sow for yourselves righteousness, reap the fruit of unfailing love, and break up your unplowed ground. See, the reaping is always greater in proportion to the sowing and the planted seed. Whatever that seed may be is revealed in the harvest. So I say, if you know you're going to need mercy, pass out mercy to everybody. Now, if you think you got it all together, go ahead and plant seeds of judgment. Either way, it's all coming back, back to you in the harvest. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. It's the law. We should know this, but there's an element in every generation who believes they can bypass this law. It happened in the Old Testament among Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The children of Israel struggled with it. Kings, all of them, failed at the knowledge of it. Even members of the early church had to face it. Some for the good, some for the bad. The seed always determines the harvest. David planted a seed of lust. And it cost him a fractured kingdom and the death of a son. But he also planted a seed for a heart, a house of God. It gave birth to the temple. Abraham believed God without evidence and it was credited to him as righteousness. The seed became a nation. Something is coming from what is sown because it's the law. We all sit in this house or perhaps at home or listening to this or watching, having planted seeds of something all week long. And just because there's no evidence yet does not mean it's not coming. For after the flesh or after the spirit. Even Solomon wrote about it. He knew it. That's why he said, The wicked worketh a deceitful work. But to him that soweth righteousness shall be a sure reward. It's the law. Do right. Be honest. Hear me. Do right. Be honest. Live holy. Righteousness always produces a sure reward. I feel the Holy Spirit wanting to turn a light on in this house. We are going to reap. A harvest is inevitable. Mm-hmm. There is a seed planted in the spirit and one in the flesh. And to the seeds of the flesh, I believe Paul was emphasizing that God would not be mocked. There is a harvest that you do not want to come, but will come. A poor disposition or disobedience, a carnal living, will come back to you in ways that are destructive because it's the law. If you sow to the flesh, you cannot determine when or where that harvest will return. Maybe you decide to question God or righteous living, or maybe you decide to go through your own little midlife crisis. The seeds you plant will manifest in the lives of your entire family. Maybe your children will lose their spiritual footing. Mm. So you think you're justified, but you do not know what will happen when your sons and daughters leave the boundaries of a godly Christian life. It's the law. If you sow to your flesh, it means that seeds are planted and a harvest will come. I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings, but I did not write this. I'm just giving you a book report today. The Bible says so. He that sows to the flesh shall reap of the flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit. I can describe the seeds of the flesh so much easier. They are evident in the lives of people. A father with a private addiction will forfeit his moral authority. He thinks that his children do not know, but he only has fooled himself. And when he stands up to offer direction, he has no voice. They don't listen to him. His private issue has germinated and produced the bitter fruit of disrespect. A mother who mocked godly living will produce a disdain among her children for purity. Husbands and wives who dishonor one another plant seeds of distortion. Can you hear me now? And insecurity in the lives of their children's future marriages. So kids grow up thinking that's how they're supposed to treat their spouse. How did they come to that conclusion? They came to that conclusion because parents... 
planted seeds of disrespect. Racism doesn't begin in adulthood. Seeds are planted. Hatred doesn't begin in adulthood. It begins with seeds planted early on. Unfaithfulness doesn't begin later on in life. It begins somewhere where a seed was planted. There are so many other things whatsoever. Sowing to the flesh is our most natural disposition. All of us, we are by nature corrupt. But the seeds we sow, a deceit, a gossip, slander, accusation, lust, hatred, jealousy, all of it will produce something unwanted and unavoidable. I could spend the duration of my life talking about it, but I'm compelled by the Spirit to leave it and look to another seed. It's the sowing of the Spirit. Which takes more focus to explain. It's sowing a seed of patience. Which in turn produces hope and comfort. It's seeds of love and grace and encouragement. Which produces lives healed and destinies rearranged. It's sowing of devotion, private prayer, fasting. Maintaining a sweet spirit in the face of hatred. There is a harvest coming. There is a bounty that's coming and a reaping coming because... It's the law. God will not be mocked. And all of what I speak of are what we can be known as in-kind returns. They are seed for fruit or seed for the plant. Apple seeds for apples. Fruit and vegetables after their kind. Herbs and spices in their proper order. But I've come to this moment moved by the Holy Ghost to give someone a reassurance and to myself. There are some, maybe only a few, which are seeds planted, which are not in kind harvests. Some are not in kind. Many of which I preach are after its own kind, after their own order. In fact, it's, it almost makes no sense to the common thought. The natural mind struggles with this. I know that I've often been bewildered by it myself, but I've come to this point in my life when I've set aside my human thought my analytical mind, I have to trust the written, written word of God. I know that if I want okra, I got to plant a seed after its own making. I know that if I want to receive a financial blessing, I have to plant a financial sacrifice. It's happened too many times for me to doubt it. I know that if I want a friend, the Bible tells me to show myself friendly. That's the kind of seed called, that's the seed called kindness. Talking, giving, serving, it produces a friend. You should try it sometimes. Smile at somebody. You'd be surprised. They might smile back at you. Even when I have my mask on, I've learned how to smile with my eyes. I asked a lady, have you been working on smiling with your eyes? She turned to me and looked at my gray hair. God forbid. She said, you know, sir, when we get older, it's easier to smile with our eyes. That was offensive. <laughs> Uh huh. Plant a seed. Plant that seed. I know that if I seed the sky with praise, His blessing and glory will come down. Maybe you don't really feel good about yourself, but if you seed the sky with praise and come in with praise, the glory of God will come down. You want the glory, but you gotta send up something for something to come down. You gotta have power, so send up praise and you'll get some power. Because whatever you plant, it's the law. The patriarchs all the way from Cornelius, from the 
from Abraham to Cornelius, they, they offered sacrifice to God, healing and deliverance, salvation, forgiveness came back to them in their harvest, all of it after the order of their making. But I found that I cannot plant seeds of one item. I can't plant seeds of joy. There are no seeds of joy. I'm not talking happy. I'm not talking something service or momentary. I'm talking about real joy. There are no seeds of joy. Joy does not come after its own kind. It's not in the order of all those other things so well defined. I cannot plant seeds of joy to reap a harvest of joy. But we need a harvest of real joy. The joy is what I need. I'm not talking about worldly pleasure or natural experiences or another vacation. I'm talking about the joy of the Lord. It's that deep underpinning strength that keeps your head up when the world is crumbling around you. It's that thing that gives you confidence enough to stand when you have every reason to fall and to give up. I'm preaching about that moment when you know that you know that you know and nothing can move you. When you are unshakable, the earth is rattled but you are unmoved. Jesus is Lord. God is great. The blood is powerful and his grace is sufficient. Oh, The knowledge of all of it penetrates every issue and conflict in your life. Can you hear me say this today? The trial of your faith surrounds you. It's real and a painful process indeed. But the joy of the Lord lifts you above doubt and fear. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. And when you look back and you get out of it, you realize that not only did it keep you from losing ground, but in fact that joy advanced you forward. And you just shake your head and say, I don't know how it happened, but I'm stronger now than I was before. i got to have a harvest, something like that. I'm not looking for a laugh or a joke or a good time. I'm looking for the sustaining assurance that flows from the throne of God. Oh, what kind of seed do I need to plant to reap that kind of harvest? I'm talking about the harvest that yields the grain of the authority in the Holy Ghost and the confidence that whatever happens, God is for me. I'm talking about the harvest that, that, that I have knowledge that all he ever wants for me is good, that his thoughts are in my favor. I want to stand on that harvest. He said it, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you and expect it in. There's joy in that word. I'm preaching about you myself. I'm talking about the strength that comes from the voice that called out the Genesis and brought out life from darkness and clothed the sky with a blanket of clouds and brought order out of chaos. I'm I'm looking to reap the substance that produces an assurance that whatever someone says about me, the voice of the ancient of days has already spoken in my life. Uh, And I cannot get it the traditional way. Joy does not come from joy. Joy does not come from joy. It comes from tears. I know that it sounds a little counterintuitive, but the Bible declares it so. Hannah's joy did not come from praise or dancing or clapping. And all those things are important. You ought to try that. There's a power and strength in praise. Dancing should be reserved for God. Clapping ought to be reserved for God. Oh, clap your hands, all ye people, does not mean clap your hands for everybody else. A dignitary is just a man who is full of flesh. But the Lord God Almighty deserves your hand clap, your praise, and your dancing, and your shouting, and your worship, and your adoration. He deserves it. 
We've been clapping our hands for politicians and for dignitaries. You ought to put your hands down and not be silent and reserve your clapping and your praise for the one who saved you and redeemed you and bought you and brought you out. And if you need a little strength, you want to dance before the Lord because joy, because the power of God is in this house. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, I need something though beyond that. Joy doesn't come from joy. Hannah's joy was in process the moment she poured out her soul to the Lord. You see, joy comes from those wet tears. The mint and the basil, the carrot and the peach all come from their kind, but joy is not after the same. Joy comes from tears. I'll help you with it. Israel is taken captive. They fell into sin. The Lord allowed them to be taken. They lost everything. The people were taken hostage to Babylon. Seventy long years of imprisonment. There was no hope for them. They considered themselves, hear this, as a barren woman. They spoke of themselves as a woman with no sons. They had lost their purpose. They were a people with no hope of an inheritance. They could pass nothing down. And they saw themselves as having no heir to pass it down to. They were... They were as a woman weeping over the emptiness of her womb. Babylon had imprisoned their children, conscripted their sons, captured their daughters, stolen all of their wealth, burned their cities. Jerusalem they bare and the people were removed. All of it destroyed and left to the vagabonds and the animals of the field. But as they cried out to God, in their days of captivity, they cried out, they moaned, they groaned, they wept sore. They were in exile seeking a deliverance when God heard their cry. He remembered his people so much like Hannah who wept sore. She and they poured out their soul to the Lord and the Lord remembered them. And in Psalm 126, Asaph did not read, did not write Psalm 126. David did not write Psalm 126. It was the exiled people who were recovered and delivered that wrote it. I'll read it in the NIV and then I'll go to the KJV. Here's what they wrote. Psalm 126. When the Lord brought back the captains to Zion, to Jerusalem, we were like men who dreamed. Our mouths were filled with laughter. Our tongues were songs of joy. Then it was said among the nations, the Lord has done great things. For them. The Lord has done great things for us. And we were filled with joy. Restore our fortunes, O Lord. The streams like the streams in the Negev. And here it is in the King James, the last two verses. It's the proclamation of how joy is harvested. And the people wrote, They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. He that goeth forth and weepeth, bearing precious seed, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. All those tears pouring out our soul before the Lord, I say to everybody, we are going to reap. It is the law. Every tear you've cried, it is the law. It's the law. There is coming a harvest from your tears. 
all those days and nights of intercession for people who think that they are so far from God and they're not coming back and there's no hope for them. I'm going to tell you, there's a harvest headed our way because it's the law. Hey! Every time you cry out to God in desperation, praying with groanings, you lose your words and your ability to even articulate the thing you need from God. There is a harvest at the end of your season. It's the law. Zacharias said it like this, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. Whatsoever you plant, I rise to say to this crowd of believers and everybody looking on, if you plant tears of groaning and tears of intercession, there's going to come a deep joy. You're going to reap harvest. You're going to come back. You planted precious seed. Every Sunday school lesson is a seed planted. A man is going to rise up from the seed of the Sunday school class. A powerful, godly, gifted with supernatural gifts woman is going to rise up. The lady is walking in. You don't see her yet because she's hiding out right now in the seven and eight year old class. But seeds are being planted right now. Watch out. She's coming now. She's coming. She's going to lay hands on your body. What you don't know is that she's going to be gifted with the gift of miracles and healings. She's coming. Just hold on. We're planting seeds and it's going to come back. It's the law. It's the law. It's the law. It's the law. God won't be mocked. Whatever you plant. Whatever you plant. <laughs> oh, oh yes I feel faith rising up in here every Tuesday night prayer meeting hear me Mike and Debbie every Tuesday night prayer meeting when a handful or a lot of folks showed up I'm going to tell you that was seed planted and there is a for, there is a harvest a reaping coming out of Tuesday night prayer meeting every Bible study whether rejected or accepted is, is a seed planted Every moment of our worship, sacrifice, praise, are seeds planted. Every box of food given away in this town, which are now thousands and thousands and thousands. In fact, uh, maybe a couple hundred thousand boxes of food have been given away. Are seeds planted. It's the law. Get ready. It's the law. I don't know how we're going to do it all. We might have to go to four services, but it's going to be the law because there is a harvest. There's no way that we can plant all these seeds and not because it's the law forever settled in heaven. Ha. Wherever you are, and I don't want to limit it to young people. I'm just saying you got more time. I'm just saying you got more time. But when you get up every morning, you open up your Bible and you take time in the word every morning and you say a small prayer or some kind of prayer. And when I say small, I don't mean, I don't mean foolish prayer. I mean, maybe in time, maybe not a long prayer. Those are seeds planted and they build up to great strength in your life. If you read your Bible every day for 365 days and have a word of prayer every morning for 365 days, you'll look back and won't recognize yourself one year from now. No, you won't. No, you will not. 
Because God has not and will not forget the pouring out of our soul and our hearts. And when we pray, God knows and he hears it. And he's going to remember your prayer. The psalmist gave clarity to it when he wrote this. Thou tellest my wonderings, put thou my tears in thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Here, our prayers and our tears are sealed in his bottle and in his book. God won't lose even one tear that we cry. So cry out. Don't be afraid to cry out. Men, don't be afraid to cry out. Oh! They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. They that sow in tears shall reap in joy. I know that if I want something after its kind, I plant a seed after its kind. But when it comes to that joy that lifts me up above all the fray, I got to do something else. I got to get on my knees. I got to open up my heart. I got to pray in the spirit with groanings that cannot be uttered. He goes out weeping, carrying the seed to sow. He's going to return, here's what the Bible says, with songs of joy, carrying some evidence with him. Yes. It's the law. (laughs) It's the law. Right now, wherever you sit or wherever you are, I want you just to say to yourself, I'm going to plant some seeds this week. Today, in fact, I'm going to plant what I'm wanting in the future. I'm not going to be the fool who thinks that I'm going to have a harvest without a seed planted. I'm not going to be the fool to think I can plant the bad seed and expect a good harvest. Come on, pray that prayer right now. You might even have to say, forgive me, Lord. And there are some folks in here that need to just keep on praying and crying out to God because a harvest is on your way. I I don't have to prophesy to you because it's the word of God. It's already settled. Joy is coming now for you. Don't lose your cry. And if you don't have a cry, you ought to start right now. And it doesn't begin with a cry. It it begins with desperation and a private prayer room. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Come on now, think of it where you're crying out. Think of the place that you often cry out. Maybe it's on your couch or your chair or at your table. Maybe it's by your bedside or someplace. Maybe it's at this altar where you cry out the most and just say, I got to get to that place. I got to cry out to God. I've got to plant some more seeds to cry out to God. Whatever you're in desperate need of, you got to cry out to God. Oh. Yes. 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 Just stand with me right now and with your hearts and your hands lifted up to the Lord right now and open up your hearts and hands to God right now in Jesus name I pray. I'm praying, I'm praying, I'm needing you God. (laughs) Yes, 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 right, 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 right. (laughs) Oh Lord. Come on, you got to say it out of your mouth. It's got to come from you. No one can cry out to God for you. you got to cry out to God for yourself. Oh, God. 
Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord Jesus. Yes, Lord. What are you planting? Come on, think of it now. What are you planting today? Whatever you planted, you're going to reap. So determine the seed. You can determine what you want to plant. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. This whole building is a prayer room to the sides and to the back and to the front. And anyone can come. Anyone can pray. Anyone can seek God wherever you are. And if you're at home, I want you wherever you are I want you just to pause right now and out of your mouth I want you to say oh God if you want it if you need that if that's the kind of harvest you want then you you, you plant the seed oh Lord oh Lord I need you oh God I need you Lord I need to joy again I've got to rejoice I gotta have joy again. I gotta have something that lifts me up through this moment of my life, Lord. Yes. Oh, yes. The law of God is at work today. It can work on our behalf. It's gonna work in our favor. It's gonna work for our good. Yes, Lord. I'm opening this altar up to everybody who wants to come. I'm all wherever you are. I'm just praying right now in the Spirit. Let the Holy Ghost do His perfect work. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Savior. Hallelujah, Savior. Hallelujah, Savior. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus.